The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome members of our armed forces who are joining us from remote locations around the world over the Internet today, as well as new listeners in Texas, Washington, Florida, Massachusetts, Illinois, and California. Thank you for being with us. In just a moment, former Secretary of Defense in the Clinton administration, Mr. William Cohen, will be joining us to discuss the impact defense cuts are having on U.S. security, including our ability to defend against cyber attacks sponsored by foreign governments. He'll also tell us a little bit about his new blockbuster thriller that just hit bookstores titled Collision. But before Mr. Cohen joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. William Sebastian Cohen was born in Bangor, Maine, to the owners of the Bangor Rye Bread Company. He earned his undergraduate degree from Bowdoin College and his law degree from Boston University. While practicing law, he served on the Bangor City Council and was elected mayor of Bangor in 1971. One year later, Cohen was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, where he served three successful terms prior to being elected to the Senate in 1978, where he also served three terms. While in the House and Senate, Cohen was highly respected for being a bipartisan team player. Though a Republican, he was regarded as a moderate, parting with his party on issues such as the impeachment of Richard Nixon. Proof of Cohen's bipartisan approach came in 1996, when President Clinton crossed party lines and selected Cohen to become the United States Secretary of Defense. He was unanimously confirmed, becoming the 20th individual to assume this important role. As Secretary Cohen managed 3.2 million employees and a budget of over $300 billion. He is known for his efforts to modernize America's weaponry, his work on expanding NATO, and also peacekeeping missions in Bosnia and the Middle East. In 2001, Mr. Cohen formed the Cohen Group, a business consulting and lobbying firm. I, I would also be remiss if I did not mention that he is a prolific fiction writer, authoring seven thrillers that make for terrific summer reading and four nonfiction books. In a moment, we'll hear a little bit about his latest release titled Collision. And if you haven't grabbed your copy, well, you're not going to want to wait. It's a page turner you're going to find hard to put down. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report, former representative, Senator, Secretary, Secretary of Defense, and best-selling author, Mr. William Cohen. Thank you for joining us today, Mr. Cohen. Congratulations on your new book. Thank you for uh, having me on the show. I was just kind of recoiling it. I listened to all the years you uh, you clicked off on, on going back over my past. It seems to have, uh, have flipped by so quickly, uh, but I've had a great chance uh, to uh, serve the public and uh, a, a really uh, exciting uh, opportunity, uh, certainly to be at the uh, uh, at the Pentagon uh, to serve as Secretary of Defense. So I've had uh, a wonderful opportunity to uh, serve the public over my lifetime. Well, I'm afraid in the brief time that we have here, I was not able to do your background full justice. Uh, there's quite quite a bit that uh, you were responsible for. Uh, hopefully we'll get to a little bit of that sure. in this next hour. Now, uh, we recently learned about uh, 21 million Social Security numbers and a million fingerprint records uh, being stolen from the United States Office of Personnel Management. But you have raised uh, another concern about cyber attacks. You have raised the concern on how vulnerable our electrical grids are. 
Uh, out of curiosity, is this something that falls under the direct purview of the Department of Defense? Well, it falls under the purview of uh, the Department in terms of uh, protecting our uh, national um, and international assets, for example, uh, our ability to defend the country and to wage war if necessary. So um, we have to keep remembering, however, that protecting our critical infrastructure is in private hands. Almost all of the infrastructure is owned by private companies. And so the ability of the federal government or the Department of Defense or Homeland Security, which also is very much involved in this, is limited to federal, um, federally owned facilities. And so, therefore, this relationship, private-federal uh, uh, relationship, is, is crucial. Uh, we don't have an ability to mandate that uh, the private sector uh, meet certain standards. Uh, they do have this obligation, obviously, to their shareholders and to their consuming public. But in terms of the federal ability to uh, dictate what they have to do in order to protect uh, their uh, critical infrastructure uh, systems, uh, that's very much a voluntary matter for the most part. Most uh, companies certainly want to comply as best they can to protect their interests, but they also uh, have been reluctant to be uh, so closely intertwined with the federal government that they, they've they been kind of a bit standoffish about it, and this is an effort been underway for years now to try to have a much better relationship between the uh, private sector and, and the public. Well, let me ask you about, let's say, the 100 nuclear reactors that are active in the United States right now. We generally think of the federal government as setting safety standards, but not necessarily um, imposing any cybersecurity standards. Uh, uh, is that a worry to you? Uh, I think we have to worry, period, about our uh, lack of, um, of um, ability to fully defend against a cyber attack. When I was at the Pentagon, for example, uh, I was always concerned about the ability, the potentiality of another country to launch a nuclear attack upon the United States, to have uh, an EMP pulse, an electromagnetic pulse that would be uh, generated, knocking out all of our uh, systems, electrical systems in this country. Uh, and, and so that kept me awake at night, and we made sure that we had a deterrent, that we had, were developing a defense capability. But now when you put it down to a different level, namely, you could have virtually the same consequence, not by launching missiles, but by launching uh, uh, simply electrical signals uh, through, your com through a computer. So uh, these are issues we really have to, uh, to be concerned about when you see most recently the hacking into the Office of Personnel Management. Uh, that was a real gap that frankly, we had warnings of a year in advance that there was insufficient protection against a cyber attack, and yet we did uh, little, if anything, to protect against it. So we're becoming much more aware now because there's such a concerted effort. Some of it is state-sponsored. Some of it is uh, organized crime. Some uh, just kind of random highway uh, uh, personnel, uh, burglars as such, robbers, uh, and some may just be kids playing around, but the, the notion that you could actually shut down a, an air, um, well, let's say the air traffic control system, even interrupt it for uh, 30 minutes or an hour, what would that do? Uh, or if you were able to shut down the uh, power distribution system uh, in various parts of the country, you can see the mass chaos that would unfold from that, and so uh, this is a different kind of world that we're in now in which you can send uh, uh, a, um, an electrical signal across um, oceans uh, in nanoseconds. So uh, it's something that we're not fully prepared for. We're working on it, but uh, our adversaries and those who are seeking to bring it down are working more assiduously than we are. Well, I think you've made the point that we may not quite be working on it fast enough. Well, the, that is part of the problem. When I, when I talk about kinetic energy, in other words, bombs flying, missiles flying, bullets flying, well, at least you have an ability to deter another country and even individuals uh, uh, seeking to, uh, to fire those at you. When you're talking about a cyber attack, uh, number one, you, ha you have no early detection. 
and therefore you, uh, you, you may not even know that one is on the way. The cyber attack is about to be launched. So these are uh, issues we have to get. How do you get early detection? How do you defend against it? And then, of course, retaliate. Now, we have to uh, take our first break, but stay right where you are. When we come back, we're going to uh, find out whether most of these cyber attacks are state-sponsored. You're listening to the Costa Report. Now, if you've been listening to the Costa Report, you know that I'm on the air each and every week for one reason— It's become very difficult to separate fact from unproven beliefs. And the media, who we used to be able to rely on to tell us the difference, has become one of the worst offenders of all when it comes to making a distinction. But in addition to being on the air, I've written a book which explains why losing a grip on the facts is so dangerous. It eventually culminates in irrational public policy, something many of us worry about today. So I'm urging you to go to RebeccaCosta.com and get your copy of The Watchman's Rattle, an eye-opening book which after the first few chapters you'll be telling all your friends about. That's The Watchman's Rattle at RebeccaCosta.com. Do it now, RebeccaCosta.com. And remember, The Watchman's Rattle. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli. Scott, as Caraccioli's become much more popular throughout the world, have you scaled up production? No, we're always going to stay small. We make about 3,500 cases total a year. About 1,000 of those are still wine. About 2,500 of them are sparkling wine. And we only make two sparkling wines, a Brut Rosé and a Brut Cuvée. And really being able to focus on such a small set of wines in our portfolio and two varietals gives us the opportunity to really perfect what we're doing and develop programming that doesn't get distracted and is really just focused on exactly what we want to produce which is vintage method champenois bubbles out of the Santa Lucia Highlands year after year. Let our knowledgeable staff introduce you to Caraccioli Sparkling and Still Wines at our tasting room on Dolores Street in Charming Carmel-by-the-Sea. To learn more, visit us online at C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I-Cellars.com or give us a call at 831-622-7722. Hi, it's Charlie from The Garden Company. The warm weather and long days make it fun to be in the yard entertaining or planting a garden. Edible landscapes are super popular, and we have a great selection of certified organic vegetables and herbs in seeds and seedlings, as well as deciduous fruit trees, blueberries, avocados, guavas, figs, olives, and all kinds of citrus. Or add color and texture to your landscape with our wide assortment of beautiful, drought-tolerant flowering perennials and shrubs from Australia, South Africa, and the Mediterranean, as well as California natives and hundreds of succulents. The Garden Company has an organic first philosophy, so should you encounter any insect or disease issues, we specialize in earth-friendly fertilizers, pest controls, and soil products. Visit the Garden Company Nursery and Gift Shop and see why Good Times readers voted us Best Garden Supply. 2218 Mission Street, across from Safeway on the west side of Santa Cruz. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thegardenco. The Garden Company, proud member of Think Local First. Do you have a plan for your money? Does your money come and go like the tides? Do you just leave your finances to fate? Cash is always flowing, money is always moving, and if you don't manage it, it will move away from you. So many people actually spend more time planning their next trip to the dentist than they do something even more important like their retirement. You know what they say, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Don't leave your financial future to fate. Take charge. Listen to Money Moves every Thursday at 7 p.m. here on KSCO AM 1080. Money Moves is dedicated to providing you tips and tools so you can manage your own money effectively. No one cares about your money more than you do. Therefore, you need the skills to manage your money. Listen to Money Moves every Thursday at 7 p.m. here on KSCO AM 1080.
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former Secretary of Defense, Mr. William Cohen. And before the break, you were saying that most of our utility facilities are owned by private companies, and so the federal government uh, is limited in the amount of force it can exert to uh, encourage them to implement state-of-the-art cybersecurity measures. Now, now we know that many of these cyber attacks are sanctioned and funded by foreign governments. Um, so doesn't this rise to the level of the State Department to negotiate some sort of cyber peace agreement the same way that we forge peace treaties to prevent physical warfare? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I have had such conversations uh, both um, recently and and even during uh, when I was in office about the, the subject matter. And it's important that we have some kind of rules of the road that are established. Otherwise, as these attacks continue, in the, if in fact they are state-sponsored, then we know that our Defense Department administration has pointed to China on a number of occasions, but Russia as well, and other countries, even some of our allies, also are busy uh, trying to break into our most uh, guarded secrets to obtain information, not to shut them down, but to gather and suck out the information for their own purposes. So there has to be a, a, um, a treaty or a rules of the road that's agreed upon. And I mentioned this to a high-level um, Chinese official a couple of years ago when I was in uh, Beijing and said, this is going to really jeopardize any working relationship we have if these kinds of attacks at this level and at this intensity continue because you're going to provoke a response from us. And just about that time, we had uh, agreed, at least informally, saying, yes, we have to have uh, such a meeting by our highest level uh, officials. And about that time, Mr. Snowden came out with his revelations. And uh, as a result of that, uh, the, all those uh, discussions about having uh, an agreement uh, tended to be uh, put on the, uh, the sidelines at that point. Now, it may be that uh, we are back talking at some level about the need to have some kind of restraint here. But the fact is that other countries are going to continue to try and gather as much information um, as possible. It's very cheap. Uh, all they do, we spend billions of dollars developing high technology. They want it. Uh, and uh, we have to then be uh, defend against it. Uh, we're also gathering information. We're gathering information to make sure that someone's not plotting our destruction, uh, whether it's ISIS or um, Al-Qaeda or any uh, branch thereof. So uh, we're also collecting information, but we're doing it for a security purpose. Others are doing it to get information in order to develop their industries and their infrastructure and their capabilities at very little expense, at our expense, ultimately, because we're spending so much to develop the high technology that really is required in a world of uh, the 21st century. Well, well, that leads me to my next question. Uh, does the United States need to develop a cyber army? Uh, which also has the ability to attack and shut down the grid systems of our enemies. Well, I think the President of the United States has already indicated that uh, that is one of the arrows um, in our quiver, so to speak, that uh, we want to be able to detect uh, attacks um, as they're coming or before they're coming, but also to be able to deflect them or defeat them, but also to respond. And that means having an offensive capability, and I think he's been quite public about having an offensive arm that would be designed to say at some level there's going to be a, a retaliation. And so you better be on uh, your best behavior in dealing with us. And we understand there may be elements in your society that are not controlled by you. But to the extent that this is state-sponsored, there's going to be a state response, namely the United States. And that's why it's so important, as you, uh, Rebecca, as you talked off, uh, talked in the beginning about um, the need for some kind of a treaty or agreement uh, or some some formality to saying um, certain low levels of cyber activity will be tolerated. Once it reaches a certain threshold, that's going to trigger a response. So those discussions are uh, in the works. They're not very public, and nor should they be until they're resolved. But that's something we have to uh, continue to do. Because one thing is you can put up a defense capability, and you're always going to have the next step taken by an adversary or a competitor, saying, well, okay, you're protecting it against today's with today's technology, but technology is 
growing so exponentially that by tomorrow we have a, a way of uh, circumventing your Maginot Line mentality and your technology. So we're going to continue to escalate uh, or climb this scale of technology, and it's going to be us, up to us to continue to evolve. Otherwise, we'll be at a great handicap. Well, now, we're never going to get rid of the lone hacker, right, Right, or the small hacking groups. We'll never get rid of those guys, and I can understand having a defensive strategy against them. But we seem very reluctant to use any offensive weaponry, even when we discover that these are uh, state-sponsored attacks on the United States. And so I I, I almost feel like the U.S. is going to have to, at some point, flex its cyber muscle. I think it has. I think it has uh, on um, very a very select basis uh, sending signals to other countries that if you continue on this path, this is just a sample of the shape of things to come. So I don't think we've been so totally passive and simply been in absorbing the incoming attacks. I think that uh, there are a number of activities underway that that forewarn those who are engaging in this activity that uh, you better cease and desist because this is coming at you. So it hasn't been entirely passive. We have not uh, we have not talked about it openly and and, and uh, candidly about it. But I'm I'm satisfied that uh, we have the capability. And I know if the president is saying we have to have an offensive capability, that's announcing to the world that uh, beyond. Uh, be aware that uh, we're not simply going to be uh, a punching bag, in essence, for the rest of the world. Now, uh, speaking of a cyber army, uh, I, I don't think there's a person listening today who's not concerned with uh, growing terrorist threats in the Middle East and now a return to Cold War relations with Russia. Uh, yet we recently heard the armies cutting 40,000 soldiers and 17,000 support personnel and making other serious reductions. So at a time when there appears to be considerable instability in the world, we appear to be dialing back on the defense budget. Is that because we're modernizing and finding more cost-effective, efficient ways to fight these wars? No, uh, it's because we're abdicating our responsibility to protect the American people. The notion uh, that we would have something called sequester that would mandate across-the-board cuts without regard to the requirements uh, both in the defense uh, sector and the uh, and the non uh, defense sector, uh, we have the threat of Ebola viruses, uh, and yet we have mandated cuts across the board that affect NIH as well. So this is an abdication of uh, of political and fiduciary responsibility that people elect members to Congress to protect them and to pass budgets and not simply engage in a policy of saying, well, I'm sorry, we couldn't agree, so we'll just cut everything across the board by 10 or 12 or 20 percent. That is an absurd and an obscene thing to be doing, especially when it comes to our military. And the reason we're cutting back on the numbers is because sequester has been in effect. There was a brief period of relief provided from 2014 to 2016. But on 2016, sequester comes back into effect, and that's going to decimate the military even more. Uh, We have to take another short break, but when we come back, uh, I'd like to continue to talk about the consequences of of reckless defense cuts, what they mean when we cut across the board. So stay right where you are. We'll be right back with Mr. William Cohen. You're listening to the Costa Report. Have you checked out the Costa Report blog yet? Well, what are you waiting for? There's no quicker way to find out what newsmakers are saying than the Costa Report blog at RebeccaCosta.com. It's where the former CEO of Apple and PepsiCo, John Scully, predicts where the next tech breakthroughs are going to come from. And also where Trent Lott explains why a GOP reversal of the Senate nuclear option will signal real change in our nation's capital. And the Costa Report blog is where you'll discover why Alan Dershowitz is worried that ISIS is adopting Hamas-like tactics. You'll find all this and more at the Costa Report blog. A new blog is posted every week, and they're short, pithy, and tell the unvarnished truth. Just go to RebeccaCosta.com to get the latest blog. That's RebeccaCosta.com. And while you're there, be sure to register for updates and breaking news. The Costa Report blog bringing you the news the big networks don't and won't. 
get a taste of Scotts Valley and help us kick off the 2015 Scotts Valley Art, Wine, and Beer Festival. Hello, I'm Danny Reaver, Executive Director of the Scotts Valley Chamber of Commerce, with an invitation for fun and food at the Scotts Valley Hilton this Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. With your $35 admission, you get a 2015 Winer Beer Glass, wine from 18 different wineries, beer from Strike Brewery, one-of-a-kind raffle items, live classic rock, delicious treats from around the world, and all your fabulous friends and neighbors. Tickets at the door or go to svartfest.com. It's a taste of Scotts Valley, and you won't want to miss it. There must be some kind of way out of here. Is your computer running real slow like this? Or are you getting the blue screen of death? Do you have to do a restart several times a session? Tired of viruses, spyware, malware, and slow, worthless tech support? Face it. It's too late to download another free PC Fix-It program, thinking it'll be restored to out-of-box purity. Oh, no, 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 no. You need the fast, friendly computer pros at User-Friendly Computing. Just drop it off at their office at 505 River Street across from the Gateway Plaza, or give them a call at 831-423-9653, and they'll come to you. Mention KSCO and get a free $50 diagnostic. PC or Mac, desktop or laptop, they can do it all at user-friendly computing. Call 831-423-9653. Coast Paper and Supply has been family-owned and operated since 1948. They have a wide array of products available, including brand name and eco-friendly cleaning supplies, paper goods, and compostable plates, cups, and cutlery. Whether your needs are for business or home, Coast Paper and Supplies friendly and reliable staff have what you're looking for. They even accommodate special orders. You can find them at 151 Josephine on River Street in Santa Cruz, Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 4.30, or call at 831-423-3350. Coast Paper and Supply is a proud member of Think Local First. This is Stephen Wagner, co-host of Wagner & Winnick on the Law. Have you ever thought to yourself, there ought to be a law? Well, often there is. Please join Monterey College of Law President and Dean Mitchell Winnick and me each Saturday for two lively hours of discussion. That's right, we have expanded the format, and we want you to join us each Saturday from 3 to 5 p.m. right here on AM 1080 KSCO. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is former Secretary of Defense, Mr. William Cohen. And before the break, we were talking about the return of the sequester in 2016 and further military cuts. Uh, On the other hand, uh, we don't have unlimited funds. uh, So uh, as the former Secretary of Defense, what do you say to folks who say the United States can not afford to be the police force of the world and we've become too interventionist and we need to stay out of what are effectively messy civil wars. Well, we do have to stay out of messy civil wars, and you can go back and look at how we got engaged in Iraq and then uh, Afghanistan, and still are, uh, and point to at least $2 trillion of, uh, of money and thousands of lives lost. Uh, so, yeah, we have to be much more um, prudent about where we commit our forces. And as a matter of fact, when I was at the Pentagon, I was very reluctant to commit any of our forces uh, into uh, into a conflict or insert them into a battle and put their lives on the line unless there was a compelling need to do so. So there's always this uh, absolute demand that we uh, use military force as a last resort. But that doesn't mean that you simply pull back from the world and kind of, kind of tuck yourself into a continental cocoon. It's not possible. And what you find is when we walk away from the world, the world doesn't walk away from us. And so when we uh, leave an area, then there's a vacuum created. Somebody moves in to fill the vacuum. Those who move in to fill the vacuum do not have our interests or that of our allies uh, at heart. So we're seeing some of that play out uh, as we speak. 
we are still in uh, in South Korea. We have prevented war from breaking out in South Korea. Uh, we are still in Japan. Uh, as a result, we have prevented, provided stability in that uh, part of the world. Uh, and so we have to be careful and be uh, prudent where we are deployed. But also we have to send the signal that the United States has global interests. And we're not simply so independent that we can ignore what's going on in the world because what happens in the world will affect us. If, for example, there is a plunge in the Chinese economy, it has been slowing down significantly uh, in the last couple of years, but let's suppose it's an even steeper plunge. What does that mean? That means that uh, China doesn't require as many resources, which means that other countries supplying the resources, economies go into a, a tank, including an impact upon on the United States that's now, because of our dollar, uh, be, you know, really uh, starting to uh, produce some really great results. So we're all tied into this small um, spinning globe in a way that uh, doesn't allow us to simply ignore what's going on in the world and not participate in certain things. But we have to be much more prudent about where we intervene. And intervening in someone else's civil war is a prescription for... Um, uh, a uh, a bad outcome, as we've seen in some areas of the world today. Well, to your point, we've had several guests here say that the Afghani uh, economy is completely dependent on the United States right now. And even if you p we pull our troops out, there's actually no real economy there. There's not There's not an economy there at this point. Ultimately, there will be, because the uh, country also has to be rich uh, in natural resources. So you can imagine that uh, China will certainly have an interest at some point in time in making investments in that part of the world, and that may be to the advantage of the, the Chinese and certainly to the advantage of the Afghans. But uh, just by saying that they don't have an economy doesn't mean we don't have an interest in protecting the Taliban from coming back in in a major way and also sure. plotting mm -hmm. uh, again. So we still have an interest, even though the economy is not uh, performing as well as we might like to see. But by the way, there have been significant gains in uh, Afghanistan in terms of impact upon women uh, now being able to um, run uh, small companies, education, uh, mortality rates uh, have been uh, certainly lowered, uh, life expectancy increased. So there have been some positive things taking place at a time when we're still keeping guard over the Taliban using uh, Afghanistan as a haven to launch attacks uh, in, the, in the future. So let's talk about another conflict that we seem to be having difficulty coming to terms with, and that's Russia's encroachment in the Ukraine. Uh, do you approve of the restraint that we're using? Uh, well, I'm not sure we have uh, much of an alternative in terms of are we prepared to send forces into Ukraine. And I think the answer is no. Uh, should we be helping those who are resisting uh, the Russian uh, troops that are there? The answer is yes. Uh, we have failed to do so. Uh, I have favored providing the uh, Ukrainians uh, the opportunity to defend themselves with uh, equipment that is defensive in nature, so that it doesn't provoke a major invasion by the uh, by by Russia. But I think uh, it would be a mistake for the United States that we're going to now take and fight Russia in Ukraine. I don't think the American people would support it, and it would be an unwise thing for us to do. So if the Ukrainian people are willing to take up arms to, to protect their country, I think that uh, we should be willing to provide them with the uh, defensive equipment to do it. Not long ago, Vladimir Posner was uh, here on the program, and he blamed Putin's aggression on the 1990 agreement struck between Secretary of State Baker and Gorbachev, which was, as you know, the promise that NATO would not move eastward uh, once a unified Germany joined NATO. But, but since the agreement was struck with the Soviet Union, once the Soviet Union fell, NATO claimed it was no longer bound to that agreement. Um, right. Posner's compared Putin's actions in the Ukraine to the U.S. reaction to Russian missiles in Cuba. W would you agree with that? Well, I think that uh, President Putin has uh, at least a concern about too uh, much encroachment on uh, what used to be uh, Soviet territory. Mm -hmm. uh, we take the position that every country should be free to decide 
who it wants to ally itself with. And I think we've been pretty restrained in uh, not putting weapons uh, uh, and militarizing those countries in a way that poses a threat uh, to Russia, for example, the Baltics. Uh, does anyone really think that the forces in the Baltics would be able to go up against Russia, even though they're NATO members? And the answer is no. So uh, the people there uh, in, in the Baltics and elsewhere, and the 28 nations that are part of NATO, say, we want to be free. And we don't want to be under the heel and boot of any uh, uh, either dictatorship or oligarchy or whatever the form it is. We would like to be free to decide whether we have a uh, an open capitalistic uh, system or we have a centralized control one or modified one, a uh, capitalism with uh, with uh, the Russian uh, alphabet and such. Or uh, in China, they say we have capitalism with Chinese characteristics. Well, each country should be able to decide that. So on the one hand, I think President Putin, uh, uh, he resents what has taken place. He's made that very clear mm-hmm. that um, he's lost the, uh, the Soviet empire. He feels that's the greatest tragedy of the 20th century. And he's trying to reconstitute it as much as he can. Um, So uh, from his perspective, uh, I think he's making a big mistake because he is not doing anything to really revitalize the Russian economy. I mean, think about it. What is is stamped made in Russia other than missiles, uh, weaponry, and oil? And gas. Is there anything made in Russia in terms of the world economy? The answer is no. So I think that you have brilliant people in Russia. You have a tremendous intellectual capability. The Russian scientists and mathematicians are among the most renowned in the world, and yet they're not preparing their country for competing uh, in the 21st century, other than still basing it on oil, gas, and military sales. So uh, I think he's taking Russia down the wrong path. I think there are ways in which we have to try to find uh, in engaging with him to say there's a better way, and it's not simply uh, putting a finger in the eye of the United States or trying to take uh, Crimea, as you've done, and uh, the same with parts of Georgia, as you've done. Uh, This is contravening the established order of things and runs the risk of having uh, run into a miscalculation which produces conflict. And it's not in his interest, not him, but Russia's interest, and it's not in ours. Well, we certainly have uh, effected some serious economic sanctions that are having an effect on the uh, Russian economy today. So, you know, maybe maybe that will work, as in the case of, of Iran. Maybe that will bring Putin back to the table. Uh, we have to take another break. We'll be right back with more from Mil- William Cohen. You're listening to the Costa Report. I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Dole has a bounty of berries ripe for the picking. Fresh berries are not only delicious, but some of the most powerful disease-fighting foods available. Researchers have found that berries have some of the highest antioxidant levels of any fresh fruits. So add a handful or two of your favorite berries to your next meal and enjoy their nutritional benefits and natural sweetness in all of your dishes, from salads to desserts and everything in between. For fresh tips and ideas from Dole's berry experts, visit berries.dole.com. And be sure to check out the pages of mouthwatering recipes. Whether it's a sweet and savory blueberry cranberry chicken salad or a simple strawberry sorbet, Dole has the perfect berry to inspire your next berrylicious dish. Biodiversity is the very fabric of our lives. It is everything around us, all of nature. But human impact is diminishing biodiversity at an alarming rate. And because of that, the intricate web of biodiversity is unraveling in ways we don't fully understand. And our world is becoming less resilient. That's why we are biodiversity advocates. We're the E.O. Wilson Biodiversity Foundation. Guided by the greatest living naturalist, E.O. Wilson, we champion research and education that expands our understanding of biodiversity and informs worldwide conservation efforts. The E.O. Wilson Biodiversity Foundation is building a movement of environmental stewards like you who share our sense of responsibility for the living world that is our home. Join us in our quest to protect biodiversity, the fabric of our lives. 
visit eowilsonfoundation.org. Times are changing and cannabis prohibition is coming to an end. With legalization approaching, it is obvious the time to talk cannabis is now. The Cannabis Connection opens a dialogue around all themes cannabis. Our team delivers the latest in cannabis research, news, industry, culture, and legal developments. The Cannabis Connection, connecting the dots to all things pot. Join us Friday nights from 8 to 9 on KSCO AM 1080. Ouch! That's what my solar-powered Buick said when a parking lot light abutment crinkled its fender and knocked out its turn signal. What to do? I went to Think Local First Directory and found Phil's Autobody here at 2750 Soquel Avenue in Santa Cruz. When I asked Phil what makes Phil's Autobody different, he told me something you need to hear. Here at Phil's Autobody, uh, we're working for you, the customer. You are our primary concern. We've been here for over 22 years. We've known all the adjusters. We all work well together. Bumper to bumper, your satisfaction, absolutely guaranteed. That's exactly what I found when Phil's Autobody made my solar-powered Buick just like new. So when your car or truck gets wrinkled and crinkled, think first of how Phil's Auto Body will make it just like new. Phil's Auto Body and refinishing at 2750 SoCal Avenue in Santa Cruz and at Phil's Auto Body SC.com. Phil's Auto Body SC.com. One thing every country will need more of in the future is food. And so the big money folks are buying up all the best farmland. Join me, Michael Olson, Saturday at 9 a.m. as the food chain hosts Oakland Institute's Anurata Mattel and Orion Magazine's Steen Kuipers for a conversation about the commodification of farmland. We'll talk about why speculators are buying up farmland, how their speculation turns farm owners into farm renters, and whether it's possible for farmers who rent to sustain farmland for the future. It's you and me, Saturday at 9 a.m. on the food chain. Listen and be heard. What day was that? Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is William Cohen. Uh, Before we talk about your new book, let me ask you this. Is there any one particular security issue that keeps you awake at night? Well, the... Yes, there are, well, there's no one. There are several. There's a, a nuclear explosion uh, taking place uh, in in the United States. My last novel was called Blink of an Eye, yes. and, uh, and it was about a nuclear bomb that destroyed the city of Savannah, Georgia. What would happen? Uh, and by the way, I lost a lot of sleep over that, uh, that <laughs> book, and I want to f- file a formal complaint. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's something I dealt with at the uh, the Pentagon because reporters would say, what keeps you awake at night, as you've just asked? And I would say, a nuclear bomb destroying an American city. You'd have to say, okay, how could this have happened? Why did it happen? Who did it? And what do we do about it all in a period of three or four days? So we'll have to retaliate, but against whom? So uh, that was uh, one issue. This issue uh, that I'm dealing with now is about asteroids. And we're just talking about Russia, and you may recall just a couple of years ago, I think it was in 2013, a small asteroid, it was about 56 feet in diameter. It weighed about 7,000 tons, and it came at Earth at 40,000 miles an hour. It exploded over Russia, and it did quite a bit of damage, but that was a small one. The same day, there was an asteroid that we knew about. It was 98 feet, 40,000 tons, and it passed within 17,000 miles of Earth. That's uh, pretty close by astronomical uh, uh, dimensions. And now we're looking at those that are much bigger. There are some that are called city um, killers and others called planet killers. The city killers are ones the size, let's say, of, uh, from home plate to center field, 450 feet. That size asteroid will kill any uh, city on the planet. And anything a kilometer or more, one to three kilometers, ends um, life on the planet. So we're now, we're very much engaged in trying to locate as many of these as possible. Congress has uh, certainly funded these programs. And now we find that uh, we not only have to be aware of these many years in advance in order to be able to deflect them, that uh, the chair, the director of the uh, of the NASA uh, has said, Charles Bolden, 
has said that uh, if we have enough time, we can, of course, deal with these. You tell me we've got three weeks. He said it's time to pray. So we don't want to be in the prayer business in terms of defending uh, the planet. We need to have as much notice as possible. And we've got a number of these things uh, coming at our, uh, toward us in a very short period of time. There's one called Apophis, which is destined to pass in just 14 years on, as I recall, April 13th. Uh, in uh, in 2029, it will pass reasonably close uh, to Earth, and there's a one in 37 chance of it coming uh, uh, hitting Earth. So, these are some things we can do to detect them and then prepare to deflect them by means of moving them off course, doing it through solar sails, uh, moving it through uh, kinetic means of pushing them slightly off uh, center. But this is something that the United States is concerned about, Russia is concerned about, China, all of us. Because we don't think about it, but when you see that these things can come, we lost sight of a major, a major asteroid. We first saw it in 1929. It then disappeared. We didn't see it again until 1989. Uh, we now we're tracking it to make sure that we know exactly where it is at all times. But there are there are millions of asteroids out there, and uh, the ones that we uh, the big ones we're we're focused on. Uh, but they can pop up as the one did in uh, in Russia just a couple of years ago and, and give no warning at all. Well, I was going to ask you where you got your inspiration for your fictional work, but I'm not going to ask you that anymore <laughs> because in the blink of an eye, it was about a potential nuclear disaster uh, on home soil. Uh, and now your new book uh, titled Collision, and it's in the bookstores everywhere, uh, also available on Amazon.com. Uh, you know, it sounds like uh, in evaluating these asteroids, these meteors that are coming, that are only 14 years out, 14 years is a blink of an eye. It is a blink of an eye. Are we doing anything about it? Well, we are. Um, the administration, as a matter of fact, the Obama administration, plans to mine um, an asteroid uh, by 2025, just t- uh, 10 years from now. And now what I didn't talk about is we have the private sector uh, planetary resources, uh, deep space uh, industries, others who now are investing millions of dollars to be able to mine asteroids. In order to do that, you have to kind of move them into a sublunar orbit. And so that's one of the um, themes in the book itself. What happens when we have people moving asteroids into a more accessible orbit so that we can actually mine them for the trillions of dollars of resources that are contained, not only palladium and titanium, iron and and other ores, but also even water. Uh, And so uh, there's a very active private enterprise effort now to get to these uh, asteroids and mine them. I think the administration is trying to do it robotically, take a sample, bring it back, but I think the private sector uh, is looking to move them into orbits where they can, in fact, be mined for their their resources. So the question becomes, uh, is anybody really regulating this? There's a bill pending in Congress right now called the Space Act, I believe, in which uh, they're going to declare that anyone who invests the money in order to reach uh, an asteroid and to mine it owns it. And so then the question becomes, well, what if you have more than one country, more than one company who claim the same ownership, et cetera? So this is not – this book has science in it, the novel, and it has um, fiction, but it's not a science fiction uh, story. It's real, and it's going on now. And just go to uh, Planetary Resources and look up their website and see what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I had to keep looking at the book cover to make sure it wasn't in the nonfiction section <laughs> because it read like something that was uh, possibly going on today. Um, uh, before we close today's program, do you have a web or a blog site where people can go to get more information about your activities and where they can go to find out more about your new book, Collision? Well, I, I guess I would go to Amazon.com uh, for the uh, information about the book, but my firm, the Cohen Group, uh, has a website, uh, cohengroup.net, uh, and uh, that's information about me and all the people who work with me. We have some 65 people in the firm, some uh, four-star generals, admirals, uh, and diplomats. I have 
five uh, very distinguished diplomats um, who have served around the world. And so we are a global consulting firm. We actually don't lobby, um, but um, we uh, do consult for firms who are doing business globally. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a very wonderful resource, and uh, that's the Cohen Group. Uh, Unfortunately, that is all the time that we've got today. But before we say goodbye, I do want to take this moment to thank you for your service to our country and congratulate you again on the success of your new book. Thank you, Mr. Cohen. Well, thank you, Rebecca. Thanks so much for giving me this time to, uh, to say a few words. I hope you'll come back soon. Okay. If your station is leaving us after the first hour and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with William Cohen today, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. How do you feel about America's defensive strategy of fighting terrorism abroad so that it doesn't reach our shores? And, And is this a realistic strategy when cyber weapons capable of shutting down the grid system are available? How do you stop that before it reaches us? especially if these attacks are sponsored by foreign governments. The quickest way to destroy a nation's ability to defend itself is to shut down their power sources and the Internet on which they completely rely to communicate it. It certainly seems to me that we're vulnerable to that possibility. So email me and tell me what you think. Send your comments to RebeccaCosta.com. Just click on the comment page and there's a white box where you can type in your remarks. And while you're there, be sure you pick up your copy of The Watchman's Rattle. All you have to do is click on the image of the book or the Buy Now icon and you'll be transported to a page where you can type in the custom inscription that you'd like. It won't take any more than three minutes and there's still plenty of time to grab it before you head out on that much-deserved summer vacation. Just go to RebeccaCosta.com. That's easy to remember. It's my name. My guest next week is controversial former congresswoman as well as former nominee for the presidency, Miss Michelle Bachman. Yes, folks, Michelle Bachman will be in the house and she'll be here to talk about just how big a role religious beliefs play in forging public policy. I know you're not going to want to miss that conversation with a evolutionary biologist. Should be interesting. Don't miss Michelle Bachman next week on the only weekly news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for a second hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management Thank you.